welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, and today's guest is Andrea McGuire. Andrea McGuire is completing her MA degree in folklore at Memorial University. She's currently in the throes of writing her master's thesis on hitchhiking traditions in Newfoundland and Cape Breton. In her thesis, she is looking at how trust, in its many variations, influences the way hitchhiking is practiced and the way hitchhiking stories are told. So hello, Andrea, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So just to start off, have you ever hitchhiked before yourself? Uh, Yes. Um, So a few years ago, um, I went on a couple of these little uh, mini adventures around uh, Newfoundland and Cape Breton and some other areas of the Atlantic provinces, um, always with a friend. Um, But that was a few years before I started uh, thinking about it for my thesis, although you know, more recently, if I'm stuck somewhere, then I might hitchhike, like this summer I did, but mostly just because I was stuck kind of thing. Yeah. And what's, uh, I guess, kind of one of your favorite stories or one of your favorite times from when you were hitchhiking? Oh, well, uh, last summer, actually, uh, myself and a friend, like I I was working in Cape Breton, but uh, we just decided to uh, go hitchhiking for a week around the Cabot Trail. Um, Partially, you know, to do field work for this thesis, but also just for fun. And um, we got picked up by this guy who's, um, he's a photographer and he was going to, um, there's a Buddhist monastery in Cape Breton near Pleasant Bay. And he had just been there the week before um, to take photos of their annual softball game between um, the monks and the volunteer firefighting department. Uh, so he was going back. He had a good time there. And so we decided, let's go with him. And uh, he was he brought us to the monastery and we met the, the monks. And then um, in the next couple of days, they were going to do um, this lobster release that they do every year. So um, the monks buy a catch of lobster fishermen or lobsters <laughs> from the lobster fishermen. And they release them all back at the end of the season so we got to go on the boat with them and it was just fascinating and we made friends with this guy and so that was a really great hitchhiking experience because I don't think we ever would have ended up in that situation if we hadn't been hitchhiking. And so the monks who released the lobsters, is that just because they want to like save some lobsters? Um, yeah, well, they're uh, vegetarians and so they're also like these lobsters that could have died were setting them out into the sea, you know, saving their lives. So it's sort of this compassionate act that they that they do every year. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. And so do you think that's probably your most interesting story? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And so what actually got you thinking about doing uh, your thesis on hitchhiking? I knew when I started uh, my folklore master's that I, well, I felt fairly strongly that I wanted to do a thesis and I was just trying to think about what would be a good topic and I kind of had my epiphany moment uh, when a group of my friends were all sitting around in my kitchen and everyone just started telling their hitchhiking stories Um, yeah a bunch of my close friends have all hitchhiked as well and they're also pretty good storytellers so they were just going around and it was like it was a conversation where people were just really eager to tell their stories and kind of interjecting really quickly and um, I was just like these are great stories and uh, at the time um, we were learning about stories and 
magic tales and legends and all these different genres of stories. And I was like, maybe hitchhiking narratives are a type of story. Um, and I do think that hitchhiking stories often tend to be like fairly interesting stories. Um, so that's kind of what got me thinking about it. Um, but then after I started thinking more about how, um, like the ways that people hitchhike, their techniques are also a type of folklore because um, it's an informal kind of knowledge that people tend to, or hitchhikers tend to talk about with one another. Um, so looking at it from that angle as well. So I guess what are some of the techniques that people use and then share with other people? Well, um, if you're just starting out, I mean, you'll probably want to ask people kind of the basic stuff, um, which is like, where do you stand on the road? Um, because you don't want to stand at a place where it's really hard for the car to stop. Um, so that, that's kind of just like the basic stuff. And, you know, you're using your thumb and everything. Um, but then like the, the funnier ones or the more interesting ones, I think involve where people are presenting themselves in certain ways that they're kind of hoping will seem like innocent or trustworthy. So, um, you know, my friend, he likes to hitchhike with a baseball mitt sometimes because he's just it's like, oh, it just looks like he's playing baseball and like he thinks that works really well. Or I have another friend who said that she needed to hitchhike across the province really quickly. So she got a pumpkin and she's like, yeah, a woman with pumpkin. It's going to be so easy, you know, and uh but also people will just think about their clothing and uh, maybe musical instruments that could help. And and then also their techniques uh, could involve, like, how do you talk to people once you're inside the car? Um, so, like, a bunch of people that I interviewed for my thesis um, talked about how they would stray away from, um, like, very political conversations or sometimes uh, drivers will pick you up and they'll start wanting to talk about religion or maybe trying to convert you and uh, normally you just kind of stay kind of quiet I mean maybe not all hitchhikers would respond in this way but a, a bunch that I talked to um, they'd be like you know you just kind of you're a blank slate and you just kind of absorb and uh, you don't really rock the boat um, so that's another thing people would talk about. And also just when you're hitchhiking, a lot of people that you just feel this expectation of, uh, friendliness and which can lead to sort of connecting with the driver as well. So a couple of people you mentioned using a mitt and a pumpkin. Do you know if those techniques actually work to help, uh, I guess? Uh, they say that they worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's also a case where it might not work for everyone and it's kind of like, uh, the pumpkin might have worked for this woman, but I mean, maybe it could look menacing in a, another situation. I don't know, you know, so it, it kind of, uh, yeah, it can be pretty individual, I think. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned was connecting with people. So how do you think hitchhiking, I guess, connects a driver and a passenger? Um, well, I think, uh, like I said, there's sort of this expectation of conversation, and uh, because you start out a lot of the time and you're strangers and that can be sort of an uneasy dynamic. So to uh, make it easier for both of you, you try to like, 
where are you from? What's your thing? What do you do? And so you'll get like kind of the small talky stuff. Um, but then sometimes, especially if you're, uh, if it's a long drive, you'll um, maybe start talking about, you know, some serious stuff like people would talk about that. And especially in a situation where you might not ever see the person again, um, you could really open up about certain things that maybe you would be hesitant to disclose to people in your immediate life. Um so, yeah, it it seems to facilitate connections in that kind of way. Yeah. And so where did you do uh, most of your research when you were researching for this project? Um, I Originally, I was just going to uh, situate it in Newfoundland, but uh, last summer I had a job in Cape Breton for a few months, and I also just realized while I was there that people were hitchhiking there. And I also just think Cape Breton is a really interesting place. Um, so I decided that I might as well try and interview some people there, too. Um, so, I, yeah, I interviewed people in, in around uh, the Sydney area in Cape Breton, whoever I could get in contact with there, and then uh, in St. John's as well. And there were a few people that I Skyped with or that I had uh, phone conversations with that I didn't interview in person, but were still interested in being a part of the project. And so did you notice any major differences between, I guess, uh, hitchhiking here in Newfoundland and hitchhiking in Cape Breton? Mm, well... I think um, the way, at least around the Sydney area, um, there's a bunch of different communities. I mean, the so um, Sydney is in an amalgamated region now called the Cape Breton Regional Municipality, which includes a bunch of different communities. Um, and they might be 10, 20 uh, kilometers apart. And the bus system isn't the best. And people just need to get back and forth. Um, so you kind of see a lot of hitchhiking in between communities. Um, it's also a pretty economically depressed region, uh, after the mines closed down and the steel plant closed down. Um, so yeah, um, I think there's definitely some people around the area who don't have a lot of money, don't have a lot of other options, and so they hitchhike. Although I did hear that apparently the bus service in that area was offering free rides this summer. So maybe that has affected hitchhiking in the region. Um, at least in around, I mean, I'm, I live downtown, so it's hard for me to really witness on a daily basis what kind of hitchhiking is happening in Newfoundland. When I was in Sydney, I was the university is in between Sydney and Glace Bay, so I would kind of see people on that stretch sometimes. Um, so it's hard, really, to speak to exactly what kind of hitchhiking is happening right now, but certainly people often tell me in Newfoundland that, oh, they never see people hitchhiking anymore. That's something I hear all the time. Yeah. And uh, the people that you talk to, uh, is there like a, a difference between, I guess, short-term hitchhiking and long-term hitchhiking? Yes. And I guess, can you explain what they are? Like yeah, the two so, of those terms um, are? yeah, so I'm using both of those terms in my thesis to refer to different types of hitchhiking. Uh, so the short-term hitchhiking um, is kind of hitchhiking on a daily basis sort of stuff. 
so people that just need to get around their communities or a lot of people that I interviewed hitchhiked as kids um, in Newfoundland and Cape Breton. Um, so maybe they want to go swimming or maybe, um, you know, they just want to go to, you know, the convenience store or, they're, you know, they're just kids. They're bored. They just want to do something. Um, so lots of these kids would hitchhike. And a lot of them would say, like, it wasn't really a big deal. Um, and then, but then long distance hitchhiking, a lot of those people, it, it's sort of a different kind of thing. Like you go out on the highway and it's for a longer term. And one, uh, one of my interviews said, you know, it was different. You know, you couldn't call a parent if you got in trouble. You know, you were on your own. It was definitely different. Um, so I'm using long distance hitchhiking to refer to people that are more like you're going on a trip or you might think of it as an adventure or um, maybe you're going across Canada. Like lots of people that I talk to, they did this sort of thing. They cross Canada hitchhiking journey or maybe you're going to the States or you're in Europe or, you know, any number of places. And it's it's just this big adventure. Yeah. So what is the most uh, interesting place or story about hitchhiking that you heard from your interviewees, or a couple of them, if you want? (laughs) (laughs) There's so many. (laughs) Uh, There's so many uh, amazingly good storytellers who contacted me, like very gregarious people, very funny people, and I feel like I could not tell their stories half as well as they did in their interviews. Um, But, you know, uh, one kind of crazy story that... I'm just, I just thought of was, um, one woman, um, I think, I believe she was in Cape Breton, uh, although I'm not positive, and she was picked up by a man who, his job is to transport dead people, um, to the funeral home, or, um, but he, he took a lot of pride in his job, but, you know, he was just like, I'll pick you up, but I have this body in the car and she just thought he seemed like a really lovely guy and like she did get in the car she made her boyfriend uh, sit in the back with the body but um yeah she just he he was a great guy and then he dropped the body off and he was like do you mind if I get another one and she was like okay and you know you just end up in these really crazy situations sometimes Uh, so that's a bit of a crazy example um (laughs) most of them were not that dark I suppose um but I mean some people would I mean like one kind of story that people will often tell is you know if they had a really bad experience because a lot of people will have had you know one really bad experience and sometimes they just get creeped out or sometimes something terrible does happen um so often in the interviews they would kind of want to get that one out of the way um, but then also there's the extremely positive situation where you meet this person and you just totally connect and, you know, it's just wonderful. But then, yeah, like this weird story I just told about the body, uh, you'll just have these weird situations where you're like, you know, normally I shouldn't trust you, but you seem nice. And it's just like this strange, strange dynamic. And I, those stories are pretty pretty interesting too yeah so you mentioned trust what do you think trust has to do with uh hitchhiking um for me i I feel like it has everything to do with hitchhiking i just see it 
all everywhere uh, when I'm thinking about this stuff. I mean, the techniques, um, a lot of the techniques, I think, have to do with building trust between strangers or even like in the um, hitchhiking short distances, people, um, they might know of certain people in the community that they don't trust. So they do certain things to make sure they don't get in the cars. Like one woman um, that I spoke to, she used to hitchhike around the CBS area when she was growing up. And she was like, I, she just remembered everyone's cars. <laughs> she was like, I've always been able to do this. So that's kind of a mechanism of trust as well, even though it doesn't necessarily involve uh, strangers. So I think a lot of the techniques have to do with that, you know, figuring out who you can trust. And even when you take the chance on the stranger who most of the time, even if you're not sure about, I mean, it just happens so quick that someone stops and you have to be like, do I trust this person? And it's like a split second uh, response. And sometimes people said that they would just have a gut feeling and they'd step away, um, which is, you know, it's a bit of a, a crazy thing to do for someone to stop and then be like, uh, actually, no. <laughs> but people do do that sometimes. Um, but also the way that um, people tell the stories as well. Um, to me, I kind of see it as a way of talking about trust when you tell the story, because if you tell if you tell all these positive hitchhiking stories it's almost like you're saying, look at how great people can be. Look at how trustworthy people can be. It's like when somebody, you lose your wallet and someone returns it to you. Um, it's like, wow, like it kind of restores your faith in humanity. And that can kind of happen with hitchhiking as well. But if you have like you have a really weird experience that can kind of, you know, make you think twice about it or the way that you tell the story well or even these weird situations um, where like you would think maybe you wouldn't trust someone, but then you do it. It's kind of like a way of talking about how, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover kind of thing. So yeah, there's that element as well. But it's also interesting to think about how, uh, um, like people will trust in certain situations, like in certain places, they'll trust people. Like if they're hitchhiking, like some people will be like, uh, I wouldn't hitchhike outside of the Atlantic provinces, or I would not hitchhike in the States or, um, like women and men will hitchhike very differently, I would say. Uh, as well, so there's all all of that as well. So, what kind of is it like? What kind of a, a difference does gender play in hitchhiking men? Well, um, you know, I can I can only really go by what people told me, and also um, when I put out my call for interviews, um, I would say that it's um, the people that contacted me are probably fairly enthusiastic about hitchhiking, like. I didn't really hear from too many people who said, you know, I hitchhiked and, it, you know, I hated it. It's not for me. It's more so people that have regarded it as a positive thing or they want to tell their stories. Um, even if they have bad stories, it's still within, like, their overall impression is that hitchhiking is good. It's just that one bad time that horrible thing happened. Um, but, yeah, like, the... A lot of the women, especially the women who hitchhike by themselves, uh, would talk about how, you know, as 
people would just ask them if they want to have sex often. You know, it's just, you know, they'll be like saying that people maybe just thought, oh, well, you might as well ask or something. So you just, they just deal with it or it's, you know, it's a horrible thing, I think, that, uh, you know, men can hitchhike much more easily than women without having to deal with that a lot of the time. Um, it just seems like a symptom of patriarchy or something. It's uh, it's pretty horrible. But a lot of the women that hitchhike by themselves, they just, uh, they'll talk about techniques basically for deflecting sexual harassment, I would say. Um, so, you know, how to talk to someone when they're hitting on you, you know, maybe talk about if they're married, talk, start talking about their family or <laughs> just try and talk about anything else. Uh, so people would talk about that sort of thing as well as a type of hitchhiking strategy. But it's all very sad. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> kind of depressing. Yeah. But, uh, I know just in, in talking to you about, about your research and about kind of the stories, um, one thing you mentioned was it might be a little bit difficult for men to get picked up if they're on their own. Is yes, that that's true. Um, definitely the women I talk to, they, especially single women, they get picked up really fast, whereas uh, the men, uh, if they talked about like the longest times they had to wait on the road, it's just I would never have to wait that long. <laughs> like Just be hours and hours and hours. So And sometimes, like one guy, I remember him saying that he's not really afraid of people hurting him when they pick him up, he's more so afraid of just getting stuck on the road forever. Um, so yeah, there's different, different elements at play for sure. Because I think with a guy, especially like a tall guy or a guy with some piercings or whatever, um, maybe people are more afraid of the hitchhiker, um, rather than the other way around. So I guess uh, where, you're, where you're researching this and you're looking at it through a folklorist lens, what kind of research or stories have folklorists looked at in the past in, in relation to hitchhiking? Um, well, the way that folklorists have tended to look at hitchhiking in the past has mostly been about um, hitchhiking legends. So um, the vanishing hitchhiking uh, hitchhiking legends have been studied a lot because um, they they come up all over the world that people are picking up ghosts and, and things like that. Like people are having these supernatural experiences while hitchhiking, uh, or at least so so the story goes. So what is like the basis of the vanishing hitchhiking story? Um, you know, I should be more familiar with it, <laughs> but I think for the most part, it's, you know, you're on the road and you pick up someone, usually, I think, a young woman, and she's a ghost. <laughs> yeah. And do you find that out in the car? Like, does she, so she just vanishes while she's in the car with you? Is that? Ooh, I can't remember. <laughs> I haven't really uh, looked into it a whole lot. I'm kind of like, these exist, but that's not exactly what I'm doing. I'm looking at this other stuff. Um, but... You know, it kind of suggests, I mean, legends often uh, come up when people feel conflicted about different things, you know, and so can you trust a hitchhiker? It, you know, the the legend also kind of validates that idea that hitchhiking is something that people feel very unsure about. Yeah. 
And so how do people tend to look back on their experience, or, or at least the people that you've talked to, look mm-hmm. back on their experience as hitchhiking? Um, some people, um, they would say, you know, well, actually, I don't really even think about it that much. This is just something I did in the past, and, you know, I don't really have people to, to reminisce with about my experiences so much. Um, but other people, you know... Um, you know, some people, they've written poems about hitchhiking or some people, um, like I talked to one uh, woman about my age who hitchhikes and she works in a spa and she often tells her hitchhiking stories uh, to her clients and apparently, like, she gets a lot of requests and she thinks it's because she tells them these stories and so it's kind of this experience that she can use in her workplace, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it, it can be a really kind of fun thing to look back on. Um, but I'm not sure if, if people necessarily get into looking back on it all that much. Yeah. I've never really heard of anybody using hitchhiking stories in the workplace. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So I guess the people that you talk to, what kind of age range and like what kind of balance between male and female was there or or different genders? Um, There's a variety of ages. Um, Probably, well, I I interviewed a few of my friends who were kind of 20s, early 30s. Um, And then I ended up meeting like a few other people in that age range as well. Um, But then it just goes up, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s think early 70s as well and then uh, male and female um, I think I interviewed a few more uh, men than women but um, I try um, when I put out my call for interviews a lot of people contacted me and it was I didn't really have time uh, to respond to everyone but I think when a woman would contact me I'd be kind of a bit more on the ball <laughs> because I was interested uh, I was hoping to have some sort of balance in my thesis so yeah and I guess um, for your thesis have you looked at all at like the history of hitchhiking in Newfoundland like what kind of uh, yeah I kind of got into some rabbit holes in the folklore archives um, and I just got really interested in um, like train hopping in Newfoundland and what kind of hitchhiking might have happened by boat in Newfoundland because uh, yeah I found um, uh, someone in the archive wrote about hitchhiking via the railway was how they put it but they're just saying how apparently in the past people uh, I think it's like apparently it was quite common in the past for people to uh, just hop a train from St. John's and just go wherever um, and then they'd be in the communities and just go knocking on doors asking for food <laughs> and the person was like neither my mother or my nan ever turned anyone away (laughs) and so I just think that's a pretty fun little thing to think about and I found a couple other instances of that as well and I think sometimes um, like someone would say apparently the conductors were permissive about this so it wasn't necessarily that they were like maybe some of them were more permissive than others Um, but 
Yeah, that's kind of a fun thing. And then I found another um, little article from the 40s of this woman who was involved with uh, Sir Wilfred Grenfell's mission. And she talks about um, uh, hitchhiking via motorboats up uh, on like the eastern side of the northern peninsula. And so she was on this journey to see how the communities were doing. But she just got rides with fishermen in their boats. And so you kind of get the feeling that maybe this thing, this kind of uh, thing went on in the region or even um, horse and buggy, like Joey Smallwood, he talks about uh, getting rides. He got a ride with a horse and buggy when he was doing his uh, big walk across uh, the Newfoundland railway. Um, I can't remember if that's the twenties or the thirties, but you know, sometime around then. And then one woman I interviewed, she said that she got picked up, uh, by a horse and buggy on the southern shore in the 70s. And, you know, she got in for a bit, but then she's like, I'm never getting back to St. John's. So <laughs> after 20 minutes or so, she had enough. But yeah, it's in a way you could kind of think of hitchhiking as just the version that involves the car. I mean, before that. And then um, there are, you know, stowaways. I started thinking about stowaways people being stowaways is almost another kind of hitchhiking although it's a little bit different because you're hiding you're not asking permission from the driver but so it's basically it's got a fairly long history here yeah and it's very easy to get into all this stuff (laughs) um but yeah and actually i think that's about all the time we have for our show unfortunately we can't get into more of it because it's quite fascinating but uh thanks for coming on the show yeah thanks for having me Tara Barrett, you've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening.